0: Father, use me, use my word, may my life be a vessel that you will use as an instrument to bring about your will, your desire, your thought, to convey to our heart the will of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we would be able to act, behave, and have a life mirrored and fashioned according to your will and according to the life of your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray for all those who hear. may they receive, may they grow, may they become uh, profitable, for your kingdom in the name of Jesus, I pray, Amen. As I have loved, this is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. This is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. The Christian bears the mark of God's glory. Jesus says, Herein is my Father glorified when you bear much fruit. The Apostle Paul says that we are. Fill, or we are adorned with the fruit of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the praise and glory of God. If we are light and if we are salt of the earth, the question we ask today is, what benefit do we bring to the people? What benefit is my life bring to those who are around me? Besides from taking up space, from taking up a room, from taking up another lane, another spot in traffic, and packing people up and they can't get to their destination. What about the rest of them? What is the purpose of a Christian if you are supposed to be light, we're supposed to shine, we're supposed to be salt? So what is the purpose that God has destined and made us into that we are or are not fulfilling in our lives? We live in a time where many find comfort in organizing subgroups to rally against something. We don't want to be for anything, we want to be against something. Whether it's anti-sectarianism, which is exactly what we're doing right now, whether it's anti-racism, anti-nationalism, the new thing is anti-capitalism, you heard all the hacking that's going on, anti-communism, anti-nazism, anti-chauvinism, you know, keep your legs closed, anti-ethnocentrism, you're too Asian, you're too of a certain color, anti antiism now, There are a lot of things that we are wanting to stand against. The question is, what do Christians stand for? Do we join in the chorus and stand against something? Do we fight against something? Is that what Jesus Christ had made us and commissioned us to do? We try to solve societal problems by fighting with everyone else who is different. Would that solve our problem? By branding others. By labeling others. This is not new. For generations we've been doing this. Look back in history. The problem of hatred will not be solved by standing against each other. This method never yielded any fruit, never bring any peace. All it did is make people more angry and upset with each other. The cause of our unrest and malcontent is not the other. It never is the other. It's more closer to home. All we need We don't need any weapons. We don't need any megaphones. We don't need any cell phones. All we really need is a mirror. Let's go stand in front of the mirror and we'll see the problem. The perpetrator is us. The perpetrator is not what we do. The perpetrator is who we are. The root cause is not external to us. The root cause is internal. Hatred is a symptom. It's not the disease. The disease is our wicked heart. That's the disease. The disease is our heart is sick, it's desperately sick. There's no way that anything external can heal the internal. And therefore, Jesus came to Nicodemus and he said, You must be born again. There's nothing that I can use from from this life. There's nothing that God will be able to use from this life. You need to be born again, and Nicodemus says, how is that possible can can i get into my mother's womb and be born again and this is what jesus says nothing is impossible with god all things are possible with god the things that we cannot do and god has demonstrated the things that we cannot do for it is weak the law the only thing that the law can do is say you did that and that is against the law that's all the law can do it cannot help you it can only point out that you did that wrong and that was a violation of the law. The law cannot help us. Christ, God sending His Son in the image of our sinful flesh and for sin die for us. In that death, resurrection, we need to learn how to love. Everything that you know in life comes from knowledge. This is not some knowledge you inherently have, not like the platonic understanding of somehow you tap into your previous self and then you come to realize something that you knew all along. No, no. Nothing like that in the Christian faith. The Christian faith is, you must be born again. Understanding comes from God, from within, when you are born again. So when we talk about love, there is the kind of love that we know, and then the the kind of love that we don't know. And that love is God's love. Now let's talk about how the world loves, the kind of loves that the world has taught us and how we come to know what love is. The world speaks of love as though the word love itself has power to change us and change the person that we are communicating the sentiment. We say with all of our affection, I love you. And believing somehow those three words change the person who hears it or maybe, possibly, change us. And somehow that word, I love you, has some kind of innate, intrinsic power, ability to change the heart. But we're all very old now, so we knew that's not true. We know it has no power. We know that we can say that, I love you. Is that good enough? Is that what you want to hear? I can say it, I love you. If that's what you want to hear, But we deceive ourselves. So I lie with her and she with me. And in our faults, by lies, we flatter be. So we lie with each other. We say things that we might not think, but we say it anyway. And that's how the world loves each other. We throw about these emoticons. We throw about these words, these sentiments, as if they somehow have the power. If we can just say it. Have you ever said, you love her? I said it a million times. And she said it a million times. And now we still hate each other. The world, love, has no effect because it's not real. It's just these things who wake up, you get into some kind of sentimental mood. Maybe it's a song, maybe it's Elvis, you know, on the radio. I'm going all the way back. And then you feel like, yeah, only fools falls in love, and somehow that. That means something to someone. Maybe they just, he just needs to hear that and then you know he's all going to be bawling. All that, we grew up and now we become so cynical. When we hear someone says, I love you, we're like, nah. Really? Don't say it unless you mean it. What's once sacred? Go back maybe 50, 60 years. People don't use this word a lot just like the word awesome, lost its meaning. Through the course of overuse and underappreciated, the word love has lost its meaning. It's now bland, now insipid. We just want to spit it out. We don't want to hear it because we become so cynical when we hear it. John chapter 15, verse 19. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, Therefore, the world hates you. (laughs) In the same passage here, the world has both capacity, love and hate. Man's sentiment, it goes through the courses of life and it carries both with it, the same river, hate and love at the same time. So when is it hate and when is it love? Or does it matter to differentiate between the two? We say we love someone, And by the same token, we can also say we hate someone. And that someone is the same person. Love is deceptive. The difference is the branding of the word, but still comes from us. Still from inside. We say, I love you. And then we can say, I hate you. Love depends and contingent on response. Someone comes with some attitude, and we say, wow, my heart melts, I love you. And when someone says something we don't agree with, we look at them and we say, I really hate you. I really do hate you. Same person, same heart, two different sentiments. Because we are capable of that and therefore it is not true. Love and hate from the same river, from the same person. Matthew chapter 5, verse 46 for if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? in the past as sinners, don't they do the same? The same kind of love that we pass around—it has no meaning because we have no meaning. Because we can change, and one day we wake up and we feel with certain emotional sentiment, and then another day we feel with rage, anger, and resentment. Can't trust ourselves. Can't trust anyone. So when you hear someone say, I love you, be prepared, because in the same token, the same person can say, I hate you. At the final hour, when death comes knocking, when someone who is all their lives able to say to you that they love you, death comes knocking, and we're left with a residue of love. No longer love, because the person is no longer there. So it's scattered, just like the ashes, it's vanished sooner, and the sweetness of love is gone, the person's gone, no longer there. So even in the best state that we can be in love, we die. And when we die, our love is immaterial. It's gone. It's elusive. The sweetness is gone. Let's look at how Jesus loves. The love of Jesus comes from heaven. It comes from the throne of the Father. It is not earthly or carnally. Jesus' love transcends human experience and understanding. We don't know his love. There's there's no relationship with God's love through Jesus Christ to the love that we come to know in our human experience. A love that the world has never seen nor beheld. A love that negates itself to the point of death that might rise again to prove that even in death, the sweetness of this love perpetuates. Even in death, love still brings back the subject of our love, the subject and object of our love to rise again and to say, Peter, do you love me? Love is stronger than the grave. Jesus' love is greater than the power of sin. It's not contingent on the fact that you are a good person or that you have done something good for God. Jesus' love more powerful than sin and love more potent than all the flames of hell. He went to the depths to take you out of it. Hell's flame did not consume him. The three friends that went into the crucible, into the furnace, and the Son of God was there. Nothing, nothing can burn the love of Jesus and consume the love of Jesus. Love that came back from the, on the edge of the abyss to embrace you with his nails pierced hands. And he said it with all divine sincerity. I love you. Peter, he couldn't think about it. There's nothing in his imagination that could bring him to the point to respond to Jesus Christ. Lord, I don't, I don't know. Even all these things I have done against you, I, I never seen that you never loved. So I don't know, Lord, you know whether I love you because there's a point in my life when I sincerely love you. And then, look, you just saw, I deny you. I never knew this man. I don't know my love. I don't know how I love you, but you know, because you know what love is. I don't know what love is. It's definitely not something that I can produce. How did Jesus love as the Father's love? Let's look at verse 9. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you and continue ye in my love. The love between our Heavenly Father and His only begotten Son is perfectly eternal. There is the bond of love between the Father and Son in whom we call the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is the bond of love. The relationship between the Father and the Son is the Holy Spirit. That is the love that binds the Father and the Son. The same Spirit binds us, the church, with the head, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Love is external to our experience. Love is the Holy Spirit that binds the head with the body, and that is the Holy Spirit. And therefore, in Acts, it said that, Wait, you can't go out there and begin to do ministry in my name because you have no love. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Wait for the Holy Spirit to connect you because I go and be with the Father. When Mary came to Jesus and, he, and she wants to embrace Him, she wants to hold on to her Lord, and the Lord says, No, no, Mary, no. You can't do it. I don't want you to do it because you're looking for love in the wrong place. You need to wait for my love to come to you. And my love is the Holy Spirit. Wait. And when the 120 disciples wait in that upper room, and the Holy Spirit came, and now the bond is complete. Now there's love between the body, which is the church of Jesus Christ, and the head of Jesus Christ. Jesus did not prevent Mary because he didn't want her to touch him. Because, well, he told Thomas, go, touch my side, touch my my hand. You can touch me, but I don't want you to think. That by touching me, somehow there's this love. You have to wait. You have to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And this is that love. The love, when we talk about love, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. The bond between the Father and the Son, and now the Son and the Church. The Holy Spirit runs throughout. Without the Son, there is no connection to the Father. We cannot come to the Father unless you come through me, Jesus says. And so that path, that journey, is through the Holy Spirit. The Father, through the Son, through the Church. And that is the love. The God's love is supernatural. God's love is super abundant. It overflows this whole universe. This whole universe is held together by the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? In the beginning God spoke and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the deep. It is God's love that held everything together. The force of gravity The force, the weak force, the strong force, all the forces in physics that we now know and we soon found out in the end if you have the supernatural microscope and you look into it and you will see, if you can, with spiritual eyes, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power that connects and brings everything together. The whole universe revolves around the power of God. It is God. You see, people are looking for the dark energy. It's not dark energy. It is the power of God. It's the Holy Spirit that brings that whole and binds the 80% of the things that we cannot see in this universe. It is a, a hint for us to know that there's something that's beyond our human understanding. It's the Holy Spirit that holds this whole universe together by His power. And that same Spirit connects us to Christ. And that Spirit is the love between the Father and the Son. And the love of God, and here's the incredible thing, The love of God flows through us. It comes through this permeating love that holds the whole universe together, the celestial realm. You look at our galaxy, you look at our Milky Way, and you see this orderly system of governing. It is God that held everything together. It is God that made everything so perfectly ordained in its course, in its path. And that same love permeates through all of creation. Everything that we see here, that same love flows through us. And the Father's love pours out through the Son. It's so foreign. We don't understand it. And yet we live in it. The minute God's love is taken away from this earth, you know what we have here? We have what's called hell. The minute God's no longer here, it's hell. We see glimpses of that around the world today. We see glimpses of that in the the hatred, in the anger, and the violence that we see around the world. God's love is so foreign to it that when we come into contact with it we reject it and we try to get rid of it. But by God's grace, He sent His Son to die here in our hands so that He can be resurrected here among us. Because that's what love is. Love does not just turn away. You reject me, I reject you. That's the world's love. That's how the world treats each other. But God's love is not like that. He sends his love and he shows us you will crucify my son. You will kill him because you don't understand him. You reject him. But he won't reject you. he never rejects you. All that the Father brings to me, I reject none. I lose none. God loves this this heavenly seed and he knows that it must die. It must die. I heard someone says, you should have kids. So that you be no longer selfish, because you know we all know that when we have kids, we begin the process of dying. Having kids means to die. Having kids, your kids there, your parents have made an active decision to sacrifice, to have you. God's love is this heavenly seed, and it must die to bring forth new life. John chapter 12, verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. God's love of the world, for the world, for God's love of the world, that he sent his beloved son knowing that we will kill him, this prince of life, so that in death, Jesus Christ can resurrect and prove to us that even in death, even in our hatred, God still loves us. And the rejection of God's Son means the acceptance of us. God rejects His Son because He intended to receive us. That's why He rejected His Son. Jesus' death, love perfected, because the only thing we fear most in this life is death. We can say we love someone, but until we die, that love still hangs on, but when we die, that love has gone. If love is the most powerful element in the world, in in life. Death is its worst enemy because when you die, love is gone. It's dead. So how do you know if Jesus' love is stronger than the grave? What more evidence can you have the subject of love being killed by the affection, the object of its own affection, and then rise from the dead and say, I still love you. The father Love me, so I love you. Continue ye in my love. Love is perfected by obedience. In verse 10 of the same chapter, if ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. I have kept my Father's commandment, and he said, keep my commandments. Love is not some expression of feelings or emotion. It's obedience to the Father's will. That's what love is. When you say you love someone and they ask you to do something, you do it. That's what love is. Love is not, oh, I, I feel this draw. I have a dream about you. I cry when I think about you. That's not love. That's some human sentiment and emotion. Dog die and we can cry. And we can weep bitterly. I had to hamster and when one of them dies, so, I feel so sad. It's emotion. It's human sentiment. But true love is when we hear someone say something and we say, I want to please you. I want you to make you happy. And so we obey. That's what love is. That's what Jesus says. Even as I kept my father's commitment. And I b- abide in his love. That's how we abide in God's love. By Obeying his commandment, Jesus committed himself in the hands of the Father perfectly. It's possible, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done, because I love you. I don't want to do my own will, I want to do your will. That's what love is. Jesus lived a life of complete obedience to the Father. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. And here's what he said. And to finish his work. And to finish his work. This is love. Love is despite this road that I see, despite all these people, my own disciple betrayed me, and my top disciple would deny me, despite Jesus knew all this. He says, I will walk this road because I love you, Father. This is what love is. I know you want me to walk this road. We only know God by His Word, and if we don't read the Word of God, how do we know anything about God? How do we obey? How do we say we love God if we never read His Word? We never spend time in His Word. We don't memorize His Word. When we say we love someone, every word that they speak, you try to hold on to. You memorize. When you love someone, you hold on to what they say. When you love God, you hold on to God's Word. And that's what Jesus says. And to finish His work, I know this is sad. I know this is hard. But I'm going to do it because I love you. Look to Jesus. Pattern your life according to how Jesus lived, how He talked, how do you know how he talked? Well, you read, you read the, the red letters in your Bible. If you don't have, you have the blue letters, the blue letter. See how he talked. Learn and imitate him. How he served. How he poured water and washed the disciples' feet. He was not repulsed by their dirt, their dirtiness, their sin, even though he saw it all. He worked how he worked. My father worked, I, I work until it's finished. And most importantly, how he loved even his enemies. Oh, that's something the world will never understand. Love his enemy. He loves his enemies. I'm his enemy. John chapter 8, verse 29. And he that sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. Here's the key the Father's love, or the Father continues to be with us when we do his will, when we obey him, the Father is with us. We ask why God is so far away. I would ask you, because you have not obeyed him. God is not far. God is near to those who obey him. To obey is better than sacrifice. If God seems distant to you, if God seems like he's so far away, ask yourself, where is the will of God that you have not done, that I have not done? I cannot know what pleases God, but I believe God is pleased with everything Jesus did. Look at my son. Listen to him. Voice from heaven says. We must observe and learn all that Jesus did and taught in Acts chapter 1. All that Jesus did and taught. Study the book of Acts. See that all that Jesus had taught and done. The Holy Spirit has been given to us to make Christ's word alive in us. Well, notice what I said, to make Christ's word alive in us. Meaning, you've got to take this word as the seed of God and plant it in your mind, in your heart, in your soul, so that the Holy Spirit can begin to make this word become alive. And then we can see Christ's word. Then we can abide in his love when we obey him. He keeps Jesus' commandments. God has a specific way to love. He said, as I love you. There's a way that the world loves. There's a way that you think love should be. Probably not the way that the other party thinks that they should be loved but there's a way that Jesus says that we ought to love, and that is, as I have loved you. If we have never come into experience the love of Jesus Christ, we never know. How do we know how Jesus loved us? So the first task for the Christian is to figure out or to enter into Christ's love. How can you enter into Christ's love? Spend time with Him. Spend time with God in prayer. Spend some time with Him. Oh, As a church, we lack so much in this department. Every time we kneel down or even at all, we sit probably at the table with some food in front of us and that's the only time we pray. If you spend time on your knees and if you prostrate before him, you will find that there's a love that's beyond what I can tell you. The church has witnessed the perfection of love through the sacrifice of the Lord. He lives selflessly. His love is unbounded toward all, even his enemies. And he loved us to the very end. On that cross, he says, forgive them. It's nothing that we have done or will do that changes His love for us. This unbounded love. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. Here's how Jesus taught us to love. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you, and persecute you. Hmm. Not the kind of love we know. Not the kind of love we read on social media. Not the kind of love that's being propagated right now in our circles. They come against you with one stone, you better come with them with two stones. You're going to burn your house down, you're going to burn the whole neighborhood down. We laugh because that's what's what being propagated right now. That's the kind of love that we should treat each other. Jesus says, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. If we can hold our tongue long enough from shouting back at them and calling the whole genealogy out. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. We are incapable. We are not capable of this kind of love. We must be born with this kind of love. We must be born with this kind of love. So, we need to be born again. We need to be born again not of flesh and blood, but of the Spirit and the power of Jesus Christ. This is something that must be innate in us, for us to have this kind of love. It's not something that we can just pick up. God has to give us the grace for us to be able to love like this. While we are sinners, caught in the act of blasphemies against God, like that woman caught in the act of adultery, Jesus cast out the scoffers. Jesus cast out those who would stone her. It's like us. When we come to Jesus Christ, there. There's nothing that we say on our behalf. But if you stand before Jesus, he will cast them all out. and will say, who are your accusers? Who are there to accuse you? He took all place. He did that because he knew that he would take all place. That woman in front of Christ, he saw himself in her shoes. That's the place. And that's what he's saying. When he takes her place, then you can cast the stone at him. Then you can kill him. And we did. He took our place. In the places where we stand there and we rail against God and we say all things against the one who loved us, Jesus says, I'll take that place. I'll be the object of God's wrath for you. That's what love is. And in verse 16, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit that should remain. It's not us that came to Jesus and said, Lord, what can I do to inherit eternal life? It's Jesus that came and says, Peter, John, James, follow me. Do you see the two stories? The young man came to Jesus, but you need Jesus to come to you. That's when life change happened. The young man went away sorrowful because he couldn't. God didn't call him. He knew the commandment, Jesus comes to us, He chose us. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, that you should go and bring forth fruit. So if you've been chosen by the Lord, there's one thing that I would say and believe, and will be evident in your life, that you will bear much fruit. Chosen people unto the Lord, show forth His love for this world. This generation that will be brought up, I wonder, some parents even says, Will my kid be like that one? That's a scary thought. That's a scary thought. And so we spend time, and we spend as much time and effort and finances as we can to bring you into the understanding of the Word of God. Now, we might not be able to change you. None of us will We can't change you. You need the grace of God to change you. Jesus has to come to you. But Not the gospel. We've been charged with the gospel of God and we bring the gospel to you. And that those who have ears might hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. Christians are people of the light who exchanges beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, praise for the spirit of heaviness. That's what we do. That's how we shine our light. In exchange for hatred, in exchange for everything that the world is giving out, what do Christians do? What do we do? How do we respond to anger? Do we respond to anger with anger? Do we respond with hatred when people hate us? Or do do we exchange beauty for ashes, for ugliness, joy for mourning, praise for the spirit of heaviness? Love one another. That you love one another as I have loved you. The love Jesus has for us is that he gave himself for us. The love that we have for Jesus is that speak to me. Let me hear your word. I'll hold on to it. I'll do it. By your strength and by your grace. That's how I love Jesus. I might have some emotion. I might have some sentiment when I think about him. My tears might run. I might choke up. But in the end, am I doing what The Lord is saying, "I should do." That's what love is to me. That is what love is to Jesus. I do my Father's will. Herein is my is my Father's love perfected in me. I obey His commandment. Seize every opportunity to show forth praises unto His glorious name. Herein is the Father's praise, the way that we obey Jesus Christ. Exalt Jesus in our words, our deeds, without reservation of shame. First John chapter three verse eighteen. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Love is not something we say, love is something we do. We can't just say, Lord, I'll obey you. You need to do it. We need to show action. As Christians, our action speaks louder than words. And John says, Don't love each other with words, not with your tongue, but in deeds, in deeds and truth. Lord, We come to you asking, would you give us the grace to come to you this morning and to say, Lord, we don't know how to respond to what we see, what we hear, what's going on around us. But I do believe, Lord, that when your love permeates in every strand of fibers in our being, we will be transformed. That we will become the instruments of your love, that we will touch, that we will heal, that we w- we will restore, that we will make alive those things that are dead and ready to die, that we will bring reconciliation, that we bring restoration, that we will bring joy, gladness, hope, inspiration in the world where it seems like everything's going the other direction. Give your church, the Christians, the light that shines in this time and help us, Lord to love our enemies. Help us to bless those who curse us. Help us, Lord, to receive hatred, but give love, forgiveness. Lord, allow this world to even use us despitefully and persecute us, that we will pray for them. Jesus, help us to love the way that you love. And help the church, Lord, be an example of glory, of selflessness, of unbounded love. Help us, Lord, to live and to love the way that you did. For you said no greater love than one who lays down his own life for his friend. Help us, Lord, to do this in the time that we live today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.